Welcome to the Beyond Barriers podcast. If you're an ambitious woman who wants to advance in leadership, then this podcast is for you. This podcast is co-hosted by Nikki Barua, digital innovator, serial entrepreneur, author, and speaker, and Monica Marquez, senior corporate leader, ex-Googler, and diversity expert. From inspiring stories to cutting-edge strategies, you'll learn how to develop the skill set, mindset, and tool set to get future-ready fast and accelerate your success. I'm Monica Marquez, your host for today's episode. Bank of America's Patricia Pacheco de Baez has grit. She learned it from her fierce Latina mother who taught her how to work hard and strive for excellence, something Patricia has carried with her all throughout her career. Patricia started as a temp in the financial industry, always grateful for every opportunity she was given, whether big or small. All she needed was a foot in the door. And once there, she began to stand out and advocate for herself. Early in her career, at the age of 25, she did her research, gathered up the courage to ask for pay equity, and got it. It's easy to see how she moved up the career ladder. Patricia currently holds the title of Managing Director for New York City Private Bank, Market Leader, and Diverse Segment Champion at Bank of America. Listen as Patricia walks us through her professional journey and how she learned not to give up on her dream. She's a big proponent of mentors and sponsors and practices being open and honest with them so they get the most out of their time together. Patricia is a risk taker and isn't afraid to make big moves. And she shares with us why she thinks working hard and striving for excellence are the keys to success. Visit imbeyondbarriers.com where you'll find show notes and links to all the resources in this episode, including the best way to get in touch with Patricia. Welcome, Patricia. Thank you so much for joining us on the Beyond Barriers podcast. We are thrilled to have you here. And I can't wait to share your story with all of our listeners because um, just knowing you, you and, and getting to know you, I just love your energy and the fierceness that you have. And just you're a true Latina Fuerte. So I want to share your story so that it inspires others to know you know, how did you get there? And maybe, you know, lessons you've learned will help them get there as well and maybe get there faster. So without further ado, I don't want to waste any more time. Let's dive in and share your story. What have you learned along the way? And, you know, what are some key lessons that you'd love to share um, as part of that journey? Well, thank you. Thank you, Monica, for inviting me to this incredible podcast. And thank you uh, for everything you do to amplify the Latinas and the women's stories. Um, mm-hmm. So a little bit about me. I, I arrived, I'm from the Dominican Republic. Originally, I arrived to the States when I was 14 years old. It was by accident, to say the truth. Uh, my mother, unfortunately, passed away back in the Dominican Republic. I was 13, 14 years old um, when she passed away. And then I arrived to the States due to that circumstances um, to visit my aunt. And mm-hmm. typical Latino style, <laughs> the woman in my family decided that the best course of action was for me and my brother at the time to stay living in the States. Mm. So this is how my immigrant story um, started. I came um, without knowing one word of English. Um, I only used to know how to say nice to meet you. I still have a very heavy accent, mm-hmm. uh, but that's my story. But Arriving to the States as an immigrant and leaving everything behind, uh, leaving my family, a lot of my family members, my friends, my my teachers, um, everything I loved um, was a really big moment because in addition to losing my mother, I was also losing my island, mi tierra. Mm-hmm. So it was really impactful. Um, but at the time, I remember very clearly, I, I kept re- you know thinking of my mother, what my mother would do. And my mother, uh, since an early age, she was fierce. Uh, she was totally, as a, since an early age, always told me that the most important thing was education, that she wanted her children to go to college. They wanted her children to be successful and accomplish their dreams and always told me with action, right? Cause, um, she was always leading by example that no matter our circumstances, that we are able to turn those around in the control of our destiny. Um, mm. And she showed me that by everything she did. You know, in the Dominican Republic, we were 
from very scarce resources. We had very scarce resources. And she used to work three jobs and going back to school, doing her master's and MBA. Until at the end of her journey, um, her end of her life, she was actually working at Bank of Banco Central de la República Dominicana. So I, I saw the journey uh, through my mother's mm-hmm. life of uh, going, breaking through poverty, leveraging education and how education really is the instrument for us to break the cycle of poverty, but also go after our dreams, accomplish our dreams. Right. So when I got here, even if I, my family here in the States as well, we're immigrant families and we're scarce resources as well. I focus on, okay, what I'm going to do, right. To control mm-hmm. my destiny. And I devoted myself to doing really one school and high school. And then I ended up in college in university, thanks to the help and the support of my counselors, but also of many people around me that believed in me and wanted me to succeed. Um, in high school, um, I was the first one to go to high school. That was the first Latina, let's call it that way, mm-hmm. with 75 kids. Um, I was bullied. I was called names. You mm-hmm. can imagine, um, especially as I didn't speak a word of English. Right. But, but at the same time, I had incredible individuals who supported me and helped me and my family. Um, especially, I remember like yesterday, um, families who really adopted us. Mm-hmm. Us. Um, so this is one of the things that I admire the most about America is how much they do uh, care and welcome people. You always hear the bad news. You always hear the, the negative rhetoric. Mm-hmm. But what America showed me and my family when we first got here was an America that welcomed immigrants, an American who loved to help and support. And, and that's what I received by most of the people mm-hmm. that I was surrounded at by back then. So with that courage and that support, I ended up going to college, university with a full-time scholarship. Wow. Um, I put myself through college working during the summer in, in a restaurant in Long Island, Shelter Island, at the time it was called Chiclet. Mm-hmm. So what can I tell you? I ended up in university and I double major. Um, mm-hmm you know, international business and Latin American studies. But even if in college and university, Manhattanville College in Rochester, I was doing really well. I had a really high GPA. I was a student, you know, the Mm -hmm. president of the student associations of the Latino student association. I ended up finishing college with like a 3.8 GPA, something like that. And, you know, knowing everybody in in the university, but I ended up without a job. So... Mm -hmm. To me, talking about what I learned about my journey, that was the first time I tested tested uh, failure. Yes. I, I felt uh, devastated, right? Because mm-hmm. there I am uh, promising my family that I was going to accomplish the American dream and that all their efforts to help me and my brother once my, my mother passed away was not going to be in vain. That's what mm-hmm. I promised my aunts, my family who took me and in, in, in took care of me. And there I am finishing college, <laughs> college loans, but without a job, without being able to enter the corporate America. So long story short, I mean, at that point in time is the first time I felt I, I let down my family. I let down mm-hmm. myself. And it wasn't really my fault that I didn't get a job, that the reason was it was 2000. There was the technology bubble. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of serious problems with jobs, unemployment rates. Right. So companies were not hiring. That's number one. Number two, I didn't have access to networks. Like yes. That's why I'm so committed to Alpha and, and to Prospanica and Asset and many of the other organizations, MLT. Because I see how important critical these organizations are to give yes. access to students, um, to internships and jobs. Mm-hmm. I was working every summer, right? Uh, mm-hmm. I don't necessity to pay for food and books throughout the yes. year of college. But I didn't know, right? I was first generation to go to college. I did not know the critical importance of having a full-time internship in corporate America because yes. that will lead to a full-time job. So to me, those organizations, AFA, MLT, SEO, and all the others are so critical uh, because they do teach, they do show, and they do bring access, give access to the students that they needed so much just like I did back then. But anyhow, what did I learn? I learned not to give up in my dreams. So I went back to waitressing that summer when I went back mm-hmm. and I told myself, 
okay, what can I do? So I keep created an elevator speech um, <laughs> with mm-hmm. the help of my friends on who I was. Because every table I waited on back then always asked me, oh, that's a beautiful accent where you came from. That was every single, every single table who asked me the same question. Mm-hmm. So I said, you know, all these people, they come from the city. They work in corporate America. They work in big top 500 fortune companies. One of them will give me a job. So I will tell the story who I was. I came from the Dominican Republic. I double major international business line in American studies. I'm looking for a job. Do you have any suggestions? Mm. And one, <laughs> one of those tables, I met uh, Gordon Juiced, uh, and he was the head of American Express Bank at the time, Western Hemisphere. So that's how my destiny um, started, or let's call it destiny called me into financial services. Mm. Uh, I always thought I was going to end up working for like PepsiCo, like an international company, because right. my passion was always international. But but this is the job and the opportunity that presented itself. But thankfully, it was an international bank. American Express Bank was a very global yes. bank at the time. And he offered me a temp job because that's all it, it all existed at the time. But more importantly, they offered me a full-time job. He became my mentor, my sponsor. And I honestly, uh, everything I do and everything I, I have, every time I have a discussion around my career, I always remember him and think of him because he really took it upon himself to not only give me an opportunity, but to guide me, mm-hmm. to guide me through the do's and don'ts. Mm-hmm. Um, around career progression and to really believe that I could do it. And it was very challenging. Sorry about my thoughts. (laughs) It's okay. It was very challenging at times, but he was always there guiding me and providing me a lot of mentorship and sponsorship, which is critical, especially when you're going to uh, corporate America from an immigrant. First Mm -hmm. time I ever had to go to college in my family. And first one ever working in a corporate America. Um, mm-hmm. So that's the story, how I ended up in financial services. And then a couple of years later, I was working in Amex. And then I was asked to join JP Morgan to cover Latin America. Mm-hmm. Because at the time when I started working in Amex for seven years, I was working covering North America, North America mm-hmm. financial institutions uh, in the Midwest and Canada. So uh-huh. again, my passion was Latin America. I studied Latin American studies, but given that I was very young at the time and it still didn't have enough banking experience, covering emerging markets was not really a, an opportunity. Mm-hmm. However, I was asked to join JP Morgan and that's when I joined JP Morgan to cover the Latin region. And I did that for uh-huh. seven years. Um, after those seven years, uh, I was asked, invited to join Bank of America mm-hmm. to cover uh, corporate banking and basically covering Latin American multinationals, companies above $2 billion in annual sales here in North America. And towards uh, the last three years, I was also covering consumer retail luxury brands, um, names as Unilever, Salvatore mm-hmm. Ferragamo, and many others. But Again, always in relationship management um, roles, in banking roles, covering relationships. Um, and the last year has been a very interesting year because I was able to, I was promoted to managing director in corporate banking, corporate investment banking. And then I was invited a, a year later to join um, private bank. And, and in this role, um, you know, many times uh, I thought about what would I want to do next, right? Uh, after right. getting my managing director promotion in corporate banking, what do I want to do next? Do I want to continue covering clients? Do I want to go into management? What is my calling? And since early, I knew my calling is leadership. It's managing mm-hmm. teams. And I managed teams in the past when I was at JP Morgan, when I was at Amex, but it was different, right? I never managed strategies or bigger teams. And this opportunity, it's an opportunity that I didn't take uh, lightly. It was Mm -hmm. changing a little bit my career path because I went from corporate banking, moving to private bank, which is Mm -hmm. something very different. And talking about, you know, my, the feedback I received uh, or even the questioning I gave myself at the time when Mm -hmm. I was making this decision making, it was a very tough decision to say the least because 
I know my clients very well at the time in corporate banking. I love my clients. I know I loved my team, Latin American, European. Uh, I was covering at the time, Latin and Italy, Spain, and Switzerland. So those were markets where the teammates I worked with were delightful to work with. Uh, the yeah. clients were incredible, sophisticated, big organizations that their, their counterparts, uh, the folks that I worked with were really, really incredible to me and supportive and great clients to work with. So I was leaving a very comfortable seat. Yes. Mm-hmm. Very, very comfortable where I was doing really, really well. My boss at the time was very supportive as well, my teammates. So why did I change? Mm-hmm. Is the question I get all the time. And the reason why I changed is because maybe I'm a little bit crazy, but I think it's the right thing to do. It's like every time I'm very comfortable with the role, um, I ask myself, what else can I do? Yes. Um, and how can I stretch myself? And how can I get out of my comfort zone to help me grow as a professional, but also as an individual? Mm-hmm. I'm a little bit like a curious church. I'm always curious <laughs> to learn to learn new things, to challenge myself. Um, and I also follow leadership. For me, um, I'm always looking at who's leading that organization, who would be my manager, how can I learn from that person, would I be able to learn from that person, is this someone that I looked up and I can imitate, emulate, would it be someone that I can admire? So every move that I made was because of that. I was, you know, when I was in Amex Bank, the different roles that I took, I was always, it was, the decision was guided behind, am I going to grow? And the second, uh, who is the leader that I'm moving with? Can I Mm -hmm. grow with, you know, can I learn from this person, from the leadership that I admire that person? So that's kind of like my reasoning. It's not just Mm -hmm. about money. It's not just about the title. Um, It's not about like it has to be a step up. It's always about, am I growing? And am I going to learn from the leader? Um, And am I, and do I really believe, right, in the strategy for growth uh, of, at the time that is presenting itself. So that's why I moved to private bank. I follow what they're working on, um, their leadership. It's in, impeccable, great leaders that I am very lucky to work with who I'm learning from every single day. And the last thing I want to say about my move is I was looking for something where I was going to marry both of my passions. Mm. So today I'm a market leader managing, um, working with a team of Paracon advisors. But in addition to that, I am driving their diverse segment business development strategies in New York market. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to marry both of my passions and I couldn't figure out how to do that. And this role gives me that, my passion of business development plus my passion of diversity. My entire career, the last 22 years, I've always been a volunteer, right? I always mm-hmm. have been the chair of Ola or Adelante or Ahora which are the different, you know, employer mm-hmm. resource groups and the three companies I worked in. So I always was doing all this volunteer work and giving back to my community and being very present in my community, but as a volunteer. So now with this role, it, it helps me, right, do all these incredible things that are necessary, that are critical, but as part of my job, right? So for me, yeah. um, I have the privilege to being able to hire uh, internal, you know, for internal positions in the bank, in private bank, and looking at through the lens of diverse segments, what is the right thing to do for our clients, our diverse clients? How do we go out to market to develop and grow the market share from diverse communities? And in order to do that, we need to have the right representation. So for me, it is a great role because now I'm able to really leverage all these extremely uh, excellent organizations that I have worked with the last 20 years, like Alpha, like Prospanning, like Mellon, TSEO, and many others to attract talent and teach them and show them the way around who is private bank and why is, you know, an incredible organization for them to work in. So anyhow, long story there. I finally, I finally think I have a role that marries both of my passion, mm-hmm. and that's why it's so exciting. And 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 I hope that um, 
that I can uh, report back to you, Monica. Yeah. <laughs> a couple of months from now, a year from now, and tell you definitely um, I did the right move. That's phenomenal. What a, what a beautiful story of strength and resilience and, and coming full circle. And there's so many things. I was taking notes of your story that are amazing examples of, you know, you, I think the most powerful thing that you said is that you knew, like you said, one of the failures that you had was that you didn't have a job when you, um, you know, finished school which happens a lot to first-generation college, first-generation corporate, because we don't know what we don't know. Um, mm-hmm. There isn't anybody at home who understands the recruitment process at some of these big companies and that you know, 99% of their you know, full-time hires to the entry level are from those full-time internships. But we both went home to our, you know, and worked to put ourselves through school, not knowing that we needed that kind of experience. So I think that's phenomenal. Well, I'm going to park that and come back to that. But the other that you mentioned was the importance then that you realized after then that you came up with your kind of like elevator pitch. And so whenever you met people who you knew that might be able to give you an opportunity you knew how to share your unique value proposition. You graduated double major and the ask, I'm looking for a job. Do you know, you know, do you know, can you help me out in that area was brilliant because that created your opportunity. You drew that opportunity yourself because you had that story. Yeah. Tell tell me a little bit of like, how did you, you know, when you said I came up with my elevator pitch and I was sharing that, even women that we coach now in the Beyond Barriers program, we push them to create that unique value proposition and even that moniker about themselves so that they can share that story and attract opportunities. Um, what would you say helped you like, you know, just put the ask out there in terms of finding those people, creating the opportunity, and then getting that one person who said, listen, I have a temp job. And because yeah. you asked, you created that opportunity. What would you say to other people who are shy about sharing their elevator pitch? Yeah, and this is a great question because that's something that I'm, I work a lot with my mentees, right? Especially mm-hmm. Latinas that tend to be a little bit more on the shy side. Latinos too, but more Latinas that tend mm-hmm. to be a little bit more shy to be very direct on their ask. And there is very clearly a, a, defici- a deficiency, right, on how much Latinas get paid versus non-Latinas. Yes. There is a deficiency as well in terms of um, the promotions, right, um, in, the, in the roles that mm-hmm. Latinas play in corporate America. And, and I ask myself that question, is it, is it at the system that is creating these barriers mm-hmm. or is it ourselves that are creating, mm-hmm. you know, that are part of it. And I think yeah. it's a mix of both. Yes. And maybe I'm controversial, but I honestly think it's a mix of both because I've seen it through my entire career uh, as I mentor young women and even mm-hmm. my own self, right? I'm not going to mm-hmm. lie. There has been times where I have not advocated for myself mm-hmm. uh, and that I learned to look back and I said, oh my God, I should have two years ago tell this person that I wanted that role and I didn't, and then somebody else got it. So it was my own fault. Mm-hmm. So what I tell about why I did this about the elevator speech and mm-hmm. asking every single table, it was out of necessity, right? Mm-hmm. It was kind of like a sense of urgency. I had $35,000 of college loans. Mm-hmm. I needed to uh, pay bills and I didn't have mom and dad to do so for me. So mm-hmm. I, I, I had to get a job. Right. So I realized, you know, I, I'm a, I have a lot to offer as a student, even back then. And I'm really a hard worker. All I want is an opportunity. And I remember when this gentleman said, you know, it's just a temp job. He told me in a way as, if he was going to be discouraging to me. And I told him, I don't care, even if it's just to bring coffee. All I want is an opportunity. All I want is a door to get open in corporate America. That's just me alone that would accomplish my dreams. And I remember going to American Express building, this huge tower downtown in around in VC Street and sitting there looking at these huge palm trees and the twin towers and looking at it. And I was overwhelmed by emotion. And it was a temp job. Mm-hmm. But to me, I have already made it 
by being in that building. Getting through the um, door. Yeah. Getting through the door and being invited to meet these incredible professionals that have been in banking for 20, 30 years. To me, just that opportunity to be in that building among these incredible professionals. For me, that time, I remember being emotional and telling my family, oh my God, I feel so grateful to God and, and to, to life for, mm-hmm. for being here. So what I tell young women, and my mentors and Latinas uh, across, and not Latinas as well, but more Latinas, is that if you don't advocate for yourself, then who will? Yes. You have to be your best friend. Like they say, you have to love yourself so others can love you. It's the same thing, right? You have to be your biggest ally. You have to be your biggest advocate. Because if you don't do it, then who's going to do it? And we tend to always let that be controlled by our managers. We always yes. put it up in our manager's hands, our destiny. No, our managers, definitely good managers, good leaders will be good advocates, taking in consideration that you're a great performer, right? Mm-hmm. They will advocate for you, but that's not enough. You have to advocate for yourself. You have to make sure that you create the networks, that you're visible, that you tell the story, not just what you do in your community service, but also what do you do to bring value and deliver results for the company? Because one of the mistakes as well I made through my career is I used to be very focused on what are we doing in a lot? What are we focusing in our community? And I was shy a little bit of sharing my success stories on the deals that I was closing, acquisition finance deals. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was making deals that people didn't believe that I was winning those deals because they were so important and critical. And my boss one time told me, my old boss told me, my God, Patty, you, you are really great in, in winning these RFPs. It's incredible, right? Um, so I, I was all, I was really successful in, in my deals creation and closing deals, but I never spoke about it to all these incredible sponsors and executives yes. that, that dealt with Ola, for example, right? I was always focusing in Ola. And when it came to promotion time, you know, people knew me. I had a great brand, but it was a brand about Ola. Right. And I'm like, I don't, there's nothing wrong with that. It's credible. I'm very gracious and I'm very grateful. However, I also was a corporate banker, investment banker with, I grew my business, uh, you know, from $5 million to like $60 million at the time, grew a book of like 385%. Mm-hmm. So we looked at the book and we looked at the numbers and what I had accomplished from a deal making perspective. I was already way ready to be a managing director, yes. uh, but because my advocacy and my desire to do right by my community and give back to my community, I always advocated for my community first. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I shied away from sharing the deals that I was working on. I shied away on talking about, you know, not just the deal, but my, what the revenues were looking like in my book or my scorecard. In my, I learned, I learned through that process of managing director that, Hey, you know what? There's nothing wrong with you sharing for two seconds. Uh, if you're in front of a very senior person in the bank for two seconds, what are you working on? Yes. What deal are you working on? What part of the business are you working on? Right. And then you mm-hmm. go into discussions on about online community and all that. There's nothing wrong with that. So I see others do it, mm-hmm. especially men. Men have no problem in talking about, oh, I just closed this deal of $600 million. Oh, we just, you know, cost savings of yeah. <laughs> $100 million. They have no problem. And it comes so naturally mm-hmm. that they're really good at that. And I think that's the way for us to do. We need to do that. And then they go into the discussion, okay, we need to do more for diversity. We need to do more for this and for that. So I think it's a balance. Mm-hmm. Um but I learned to that as well. And the last thing I tell you around us advocating ourselves, you know, I negotiate every single time I get a new job, big mm. time, every single time, because I also learned early on in my career that I was getting paid way less when I was, yes. you know, uh, about 24, 25 years old. <clears throat> and then my peers and, and I was devastated by it because it was shocking, but I, be- I came in as a temp, right? So mm-hmm. I was basically the lowest, the yeah. lowest uh, salary, right? Because I came in as a temp. So it was nobody's fault but the system, right? When you come in, it's kind of like you come in with this strange every year, you get percent, two, three yeah. percent. So 
increase. So it's nobody's it's really intentional, intentionally about not wanting to pay you more. Yeah. It's the fact that you are in the company for so many years and little by little, right? Those increases don't, don't really increase that much dramatically. Yeah. So what I realized when I learned that, that I was getting paid so below my peers for the same exact role. And I had to have had a very tough conversation with my manager at the time. I was 25 years old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I told my manager, okay, and I maybe this sounds too bold, but even my eyes were teary and I was a little bit emotional because it was my first time again dealing with disappointment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt betrayed. Um, mm-hmm. But I had to have that tough conversation, emotional conversation, but very effective. Oh, you changed my role description mm-hmm. or you pay me the same as my peers for the same role that I would do. And because three of us are doing the same role, I'm killing it. I'm doubling the numbers. Yeah. My two other peers are not, and they're paying, they're getting paid 40 some, something thousand dollars more. So at that point in time, I was young. I was putting my job at risk. Mm-hmm. I was lucky, obviously, because my boss was kind <laughs> and patient. Mm-hmm. But at least I'd say what I had to say. And yes. I said it in a respectful way, in a calm way, in a calm matter. And at the same time, you know, I had nothing to lose because mm-hmm. or he changed my role, I would have less responsibilities, but I was going to get paid the same. So within three months after that, they increased my salary and, and put it apart with everybody else. But that's when I realized your biggest advocate is yourself. Yes. You have to look at, what are you currently doing? Are you performing? At what levels you're performing? Um, and you should ask for what you think you deserve. And obviously, leading with performance is critical. You have to deliver above expectations over and over again. If they tell you A, you go deliver A, B, C, D, not just A. Right. That's something that I always tell my mentees as well. <clears throat> it's not just because you're you, right? Things come to you. You have to lead with performance. Uh, delivery. So once you execute and you're delivering above expectations, then you have a right. You have a right to negotiate. You have a right to advocate for yourself. You have a right to have tough conversations when you don't get the promotion that you think you deserve. Um, And in a respectful manner, because people think by screaming and yelling, it's going to, no, that's not what I'm encouraging. I'm encouraging for you, uh, for all of us, including myself, Mm -hmm. To really know our numbers, to really know, you know, be very uh, courageous enough to have conversations, not just with our managers, but also with our mentors and our sponsors about what's, what we think we need and want in, in, in deserve. Because mm-hmm. another thing that I didn't do really well early on in my career was I never used to be very honest to my mentors and sponsors about what's going on in my role. Mm, so I used yes. to say, oh, I'm doing really well. This is my delivery. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm doing really well. So what I realized later on, um, you know, I think this happened at JP Morgan, that, you know, I had a very great mentor. She was so great, a great mentor, sponsor, and very tough woman. And she said, Patty, every time you come here, you tell me how great everything is and how everything is going and how happy you are. But then why you need me, right? Like, what can I help you with? I need you to be honest. What do you need me to help you with? There must be something you need me to help you with. Right. And I was like, set back because I'm like, oh, okay. So I need to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) And that was like, I was super, I was still very young, but that was, um, thank God this happened early on um, because I realized your mentors and sponsors are there for a reason. They're there to advocate for you, but they're there to guide you. If you're, yes. not self, if you're not self-aware about your weaknesses and the areas that you need support and help, and you don't use and leverage your mentors and sponsors to, to help you on that, then what you need them for? Yeah. So for me, that was another huge learning experience. And all of us, no matter what role, no matter how high up you get in corporate America, all the way up to the CEO of organizations. They need support. They need help. They need guidance. Mm-hmm. So my suggestion as well, I tell mentees, and something I learned is 
be self-aware of the areas of improvement, be self-aware of your weaknesses, be also honest, you know, if you're having difficulty with your managers or with your peers, uh, because that way your mentors can really help you, advocate for you, help you navigate the politics, help you really coach you how to deal with tough situations. And I and I have to tell you, Monica, that since I, I had that conversation with them, um, I think I was, I don't even remember how old I was, but I was young, mm-hmm. uh, with a mentor sponsor at the time, my life changed from my, my relationships with my mentors and sponsors changed drastically. Mm, yes. Because I feel that by by me being honest and in, in giving them a little bit of work, <laughs> yeah, um, they feel so fulfilled because they feel that they're doing they're making a difference, yes. right? In in my life, and they are. I am very lucky and I'm very privileged. Um, and I think sometimes it's my mom from heavens putting these very special people in my life when I least expect it. Um, that really believe in me and really invest time in me uh, by to guide me, to encourage me, to support me, and to be honest with me. Yes. The biggest um, gift you can give someone is honesty. Uh, Honesty, Mm -hmm. candor in a loving, courageous way. And that's how people grow. Um, And none of us are perfect. So anyway, that's the last point of advice I like to give people. You have to be honest. You have to be self-aware. And you have to leverage your mentors and sponsors to help you get to the next level um, by being honest with them about what's going on in your situation at a point in time. That's fantastic. And I, and I love what you just said. You, it, you know, I love your stories because all of the points that we, you know, coach around in terms of being vulnerable and being transparent um, really is what's going to help kind of accelerate your success because those mentors and sponsors will then buy into, you know, wanting to help you and they, they invest in you, like you said, and they will help you along the way. But I think the other important thing you mentioned is that the power of self-promotion and that as Latinas, culturally, we may be told to, you know, not do that to, you know, be humble, keep your head down and work really hard and your work will speak for itself. But you and I both know in these corporate worlds, it doesn't work that way. And how our male peers are really easy, you know, knocking on the door or popping their head in and saying, oh, hey, just wanted to let you know, we just closed this, I just closed this big deal or whatever. So they're self-promoting kind of in a very nonchalant way. And we don't do that. And so the story, you know, that your story was so powerful in that once you learned to be able to talk about or take opportunities to talk about what you were doing to impact the business, in addition to what you were doing, really, honestly, a second job, right, of creating community within the organization and helping the other Latinos feel a sense of belonging was powerful, but they needed to hear both of those things. And I think the other really important thing you shared is that being a high performer and and just going above and beyond expectations is table stakes. And if you are doing that, then you do deserve the right to ask for what you need. And I think, like you said, you were young and maybe, like you said, you know, bold, but you went in there and said, hey, I'm not getting the pay, paid the same as my peers for doing the same job. So either one, we change my job title to match what I'm being paid or you pay me the same. And yes, it may have been putting your job at risk, but the thing is, is you were still a high performer. So you could have gone somewhere else and gotten, you know, the the pay bump somewhere else for the same job. But at the end of the day, it's because you had confidence in that you're killing it. You're doing the job. And I think that's the other powerful thing of like, just know that if you're giving it your best and you're going above and beyond and you're getting, you know, and you're being told that you're exceeding expectations, um, be mindful of that because then you can use that, that, you know, your performance as leverage. And that's, that's the powerful thing. So I loved all of those things that you shared in your, in your story. And one of the things I want to touch on before we go to the lightning round is 
that you in your journey, in your career, you've had a, a lot of pivots or transitions from, you know, going, you know, into different parts of the company, like going from corporate banking to private banking. And it's a pretty significant shift, right? And and you had already earned all of the social capital in, in the corporate banking space, and then you 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 switched. How did you gain the courage? Um, you know, what gave you the courage or the confidence to make that switch, even though there was uncertainty on the other side? Um, you know, and and I think, like you said, you did some maybe some self-realization that it was going to maybe help marry, you know, what you loved doing with the, you know, focus on diversity. So you it was a mix of both passions, but still it's a huge shift to transition especially when you have all of this social capital uh, in, in one place. And then you said, Hey, okay, I know all of this. I'm going to go over here now. And everybody was telling you, what are you doing? Why would you do that right now? And you still with confidence said, I'm going to do this. What gave you the courage to make that shift and, uh, and, and to just, you know, keep moving forward with that, you know, with that, um, with that confidence. That, that is actually a great question because I'm getting, you know, and sometimes I ask myself the same question. <laughs> but uh, I, I tell you, it was for me, every time I move, I move careers, like I move jobs, companies every seven years. Mm-hmm. So I was in corporate banking for seven years already, seven years and a half. So I was having this tick about, okay, maybe I should be doing something different. Um, but then moving to private bank, it's like moving banks because mm-hmm. this is totally, even if it's the same similar culture, is totally different client type, different solutions, um, different teams, completely different teams, and even slightly different culture. So um, going from an international, global international uh, business to domestic US business. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there was a lot of risks to be, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is what I thought about, um, where, why I thought it makes sense. I thought it makes sense because private bank and wealth, mm-hmm. right? Wealth management, it's growing faster than ever. Mm-hmm. The, the diverse segments are driving that growth. Mm. Uh, the Latino GDP, the Latino wealth yes. uh, is driving that growth. So if I look at wealth management as an industry, in the USA and even globally, the drivers there uh, of growth are immigrants. It's diverse. It's diverse, mm-hmm. diverse communities. So I wanted to to learn from this business and and really help drive and help the bank uh, work on strategies to acquire this market share that it's really untapped in today's. Um, mm-hmm wealth management industry. I mean, if you look at all the big top banks, uh, that that emerging growth is to call emerging growth in the past. It's not any longer called emerging growth because it's the new growth. Let's call it yeah. new growth. It's coming from this diverse community. So look, I look at when I moved from Amex to JP Morgan, they were revamping Latin American region. Mm-hmm. They had like a five or six, seven market share, you know, and they, they wanted to become the number one. So that kind of revamping, creating new strategies, being part of something new, mm-hmm. um, that excites me. That yes. makes me, that gives me energy. Going into private bank right now uh, under new leadership as well. A few years ago, Kitty Knox uh, also moved to private bank. There's a lot of new uh leaders in private bank as well. And there is a lot of new focus on growing diverse segments in developing um, this business, this market share, going after this market share that is really on top by all our peers. So being part of something new, it's really exciting. You learn, you get to learn a lot. You get mm-hmm. to make mistakes, but also pivot. Uh, so that to me was exciting. The second thing I, one of the reasons why the second reason why I moved is because I wanted an opportunity uh, to lead, right? To go mm-hmm. into management. Uh, my prior role, I was an individual contributor and I was, I had my scorecard, I had my clients, I had my my teams, my analysts, my associates that work with me, but was more on an individual contributor role. So mm-hmm. I wanted an opportunity to be in management, working strategy, working, managing a PL, 
you know, a market. Because uh, mm-hmm. my goal, my dream is to lead uh, a private bank unit one day. Um, so to set myself up for that, I need to learn right how to mm-hmm. how to be a market leader and how to be a, a manager in in a local market. So at the end of the day, it was risky because I love something that I'm comfortable with. Mm-hmm. that I was doing really well, that people really knew me for. Uh, but at the same time, I'm acquiring a lot of new skill sets like like to my toolkit, right? Yeah. Uh, and there is risk, but there's a lot of rewards. And I'm not going to lie and tell you it's easy. It's not easy. There's many uncomfortable mm-hmm. days. There's days that I feel like, oh, my God, why did I do this? Uh, but it's, it's exciting when you see, you know, I, I've been here for a year. And I look back and I'm like amazed on all the things that I have learned. Yeah. Even from the difficulty days, the difficult days, um, I'm amazed as well on how I handled those difficult days compared to a few years ago. Right. right? Uh-huh. Um, so I, I am evolving and growing and, and I encourage everyone, everyone, when they're top for an opportunity, mm-hmm. especially women. Women, we need to be 110% ready to take a new role. Yes. And that was me. And I think I haven't, I probably would have grown faster even more if early on in my career, I would have been more risk taker. I was very risk averse when I was young, early on in my career, because honestly, if I lost my job, I lost everything Mm -hmm. because I have a family member to pick me up, pick up my bills, right? So I had to do it on my own. Uh, But there were times early on in my career that I was asked to take jobs, but I always felt like, oh my God, I'm not ready. I'm not, I don't have every single skill set. Yeah. <laughs> and therefore I, I cannot, you know, I don't want to take a, take a chance to just to fail. Right. Now that I'm 44 years old <laughs> and that I'm a managing director and that I taking so many risks. Mm-hmm. And even if I feel those butterflies, even if I'm nervous, even if I'm anxious, even if I feel I'm not good enough, <laughs> the, the imposter syndrome, yeah. um, guess what? As time passes and I learned the business and I learned how I can, what mm-hmm. areas, what skill sets do I have that can add value to my teammates and to my teams, then, you know, then I feel okay. Then I feel, you know, it's the right thing. It's the right move, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what I encourage people. You don't have to have 100% of skill sets. You just have to focus on the skill sets that are transferable to the new role. Yes. Number one. Number two, you have to focus in listening to your voices of confidence, your voices Mm -hmm. that tell you, yes, you can do it. And the peers, your teammates, your sponsors, your mentors, who encourages you and tells you you can do it. So even if you don't believe in yourself, let's call it that way, and you don't believe that you're 100% ready, but if somebody taps you to the role, yeah, because they know you can do it. They have trust in you, yeah. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like, why would someone tap me to do this role in private bank if they thought I wasn't ready? Mm-hmm. So when I was doing, you know, back to your question about the transitioning, the third part of it was, you know, in addition to wanting to learning, wanting to to do a, a be part of a, something new and exciting, you know, I I was told by many very senior people and also peers, mm-hmm. I definitely have what it takes to do this role. Um, and, and I was like, wait a second, if everybody's telling me, you know, people that I really respect and admire and care for really believe that I can do it, they're going to champion me and they're going to support me and they're going to be my guiding light when I need it. And mm-hmm. I have to tell you, Monica, that's exactly happening the case. Mm-hmm. I'm very fortunate and lucky, like call it that way. And I said it all the time that I have peer mentors, peer mentors, uh, regular mentor sponsors, like a whole community that encourages me, especially in Bank of America and outside of Bank of America, that encourages me to think bold, to think big, to be courageous enough um, to go after the goals and the dreams that I may have. And obviously, there has been many mistakes I've done along the way. Mm-hmm. But I finally, finally, at 44 years old, I finally feel that it's okay to make mistakes mm, yes. because out of mistakes, that's when you learn. That's when you that's learn. when you pivot and that's when you improve. Mm. So I really think, you know, 
no matter what happens, you have to believe in yourself. And you know what is the worst thing that can happen? You yeah. lose your job, then you get another job. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. What a phenomenal, so. like, I loved your answers. What if you could pinpoint the invisible ceilings limiting your success? Imagine having clarity on your strengths and barriers so you can take action and gain unstoppable momentum to advance as a future-ready leader. Well, that's exactly what the Beyond Barriers quiz will help you discover. You'll get your personalized score based on the 25 essential elements proven to accelerate success in the digital age, so you can understand what's holding you back and where to focus your efforts. The Beyond Barriers quiz is completely free and takes just a few minutes. Go to IamBeyondBarriers.com slash quiz and take the quiz today. There were a couple of things that you you talked about is that, you know, every seven years you would get this itch and you would change jobs, but you realize that you don't necessarily need to change companies. There's opportunities within the organization that you can that you can take that are feel like you've left and gone to another company, but you're still under the same umbrella. And there is there is some of that social capital that follows you because you've made your mark in the organization. Now you're going somewhere else within the organization, which is smart. Two, there was, you know, you you were doing what we t- teach women in our Beyond Barriers um, program about being a future ready leader, thinking about the future. And so you were thinking about, wait a minute, in private bank, the I'm looking at the industry and the biggest growths that we see in in you know in wealth, you know, is in the Latino markets that it's driving that. I have subject matter expertise in Latino markets. I can go here, leverage that, you know, that, that subject matter expertise and be part of the new growth that you were talking about, right, in, yeah. in wealth management. And so I think that was really imp- powerful, too, where you were being future, your future thinking of this is an opportunity where I'm perfectly positioned to make a mark because I have subject matter expertise in the Latino market. That's what's driving and I can go to private bank and bring all of that knowledge with me and be part of that, which I think is phenomenal, setting yourself up for success. And then I think, you know, you talking about, you know, jumping and taking a leap of faith because maybe you might have had moments of self-doubt, but there were others telling you that you could do this and you believed in your power of learning, that you know that you can learn anything because Patricia came to this, you know, to the United States and learned English, mastered it, went to school, you know, mastered her studies. And now you have this confidence in this, you know, superpower of learning so you can do anything. So I think that's phenomenal. I wanted to sum it up because that's what I see in you all the time of like, I got this, even, you know, it's just I like, mean, I got this. I, I, I got to tell you guys, I mean, Monica, I'm telling you that for me in the moment, I'm not going to, I don't want to make it sound like, you know, I have it together because I don't. In the uh-huh. moment I cry, I scream, I'm yelling. You can ask <laughs> my husband over drinks. Uh-huh. <laughs> I have like a chaos, right? When I'm going through it, right? Uh-huh. The beautiful times I just finished my series 24 principle exam, which is one uh-huh. of the hottest exams it's, it was like pulling teeth. Uh-huh. I, I passed it the first time, but the more challenging it becomes, right? The mm-hmm. more I get into it because it's kind of like, a, to me, it's a challenge. Uh, it's it's a bet on myself. Yes. Uh, and, 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 you know, I'm not the smartest possibly. Most of the time, I'm not the smartest one in the room. But I'm going to tell you, I'm probably, it will always be the hottest worker in the room. Yes. Because since I was very young, my grandmother was always instilling on that on me. You have to work hard. Nothing is going to be given to you. So to me, hard work, my hard work ethics, doesn't matter if they tell me just go home at five. I cannot. It's just like I can't leave unless mm-hmm. I finish what I need to do, right? doesn't matter at the time of the day. Mm-hmm. I'm devoted to to make sure right that i'm doing the right thing for my clients like my Mm -hmm. clients come first my teammates come first so my company comes first to me um 
and, and with because of that, I'm all, it's always a lot of hard work. So for me, mm-hmm. and I tell my teammates and I tell my mentees, sometimes we get intimidated, right? Because we have around us a lot of intellectual, a lot of very smart, high IQ yes. folks uh, that went to very prestigious schools that come from very prestigious families uh, and who have an incredible journeys uh, in life, you know, lives for themselves. Um but that doesn't matter because at the end of the day, each and every single one of us have something to bring to the table, mm. something yeah. special to bring to the table, something that differentiates us and something that, that I get, I, I got, I got to say, and I, and I said it very boldly, something that makes you unique. Yes. So to me, that's what I focus on. What makes me unique? It's that I'm a very hard worker and, and it, it is unique because I, say, I think it's unique because it's not just a hard worker that I work a lot of hours, but mm-hmm. that I always go above and beyond on everything that's being asked of me. If you tell me, Patty, do an event, you know, let's put something together. Instead of bringing you 50 people, I bring you 100 people. Like no. I'm always going, <laughs> like stretching myself. Like yeah. how can I do this better, right? How mm-hmm. we can do this better? And that's what I tell my teams about all the time. It's not just to do, let's do something just to do it, right? Let's do it right. Let's do it that we all are so proud of ourselves. Yes. And yeah, sometimes that's a little bit tough because I drive people crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? That's where excellence comes from. Yeah. That's where we stretch ourselves and become better than what we used to be a day ago, right? Mm-hmm. We're keeping raising the bar of excellence, raising the bar of doing the best by our clients and our communities. And that's what I really believe in, striving for excellence every single day, even if that means a lot of hard work and dedication, but that's what it takes. That's what it takes to, to be successful in anything in life, mm-hmm. whether it's corporate America or your personal life. It's striving for excellence and hard work that gives you success. It's nothing. It could be, you could have millions of dollars mm-hmm. that you inherited, but if you don't strive for excellence and work hard, still those, those monies can just disappear, right? Cause right. you can get out of it. Yes. So. Anyhow, I'm just very that that's how that's how I strive, that's how I work and and it's just me, that's who I am and I can't help it, right? <laughs> <laughs> embrace it, embrace it and I love that mentality of excellent of, you know, just be, you know, you're, like you were saying, strive for excellence and be better than you were yesterday. And I love that. And if you think about it, even if you improve one degree every day, at the end of a year, you're 365 degree, you know, better than what you were a year ago. And I love that. But I, I could talk to you for I'm hours and hours. I know. I know. But on that, on that point, you know, sometimes also like, you know, especially women, we, we compare ourselves, right, to other people. And, yeah. and that, that gets... That gets on the way sometimes of our of our ego, right? And, and of our self-esteem. And my other tip right there is stop comparing yourself to people. Yes. You are who you are. You are powerful. You are courageous. You have uniqueness about yourself. You have something to bring, especially Latinas. We have a lot yes. of superpowers to bring to the table. So I really believe that our comparisons should be with ourselves. Yes. Be self-aware on your weaknesses, but focus on your strengths. Mm-hmm. Amplify your strengths and work at the same time on your weaknesses. Mm-hmm. Because also I seen, including from including from myself, yes. I've seen it that we'll just focus on the weaknesses. Oh my God, I have to work on this. Oh my God. But what about your strengths? Yes. We have to amplify our strengths. Yes. Amplify, amplify our strengths. At the same time, focus in fixing our weaknesses. Mm-hmm. But don't don't dismiss this. Yeah, this is what makes you unique. This is what makes you special, and this is how you adding a lot of value to everything yeah. you do. So anyway, I just want to finish with that because that's to me the last let's say forty eight months maybe or last two three years. Three years ago, I went through the process of managing director, and uh-huh. I a lot of these themes. Um, I, I came through that experience mm-hmm. and now a year ago as I transitioned and pivoted my career to something different that I never done before. Also, a lot of those things came through. So uh, thank you again, Monica. Uh, yes. No, I love it. I, I could talk to you for hours and hours. And, yeah. you know, I mean, 
we're friends and I love you, but hearing your whole story again just makes me love you even more. And I can't wait for our audience to to hear your story because it's so relatable. And I think they're going to find so much that resonates, um, you know, the, of your story and they see themselves in you, which, you know, they can see it and they can be it. And so we're going to have a new crop of young Latina MDs popping up everywhere after hearing your story. Uh, but before I go, I do want to ask our famous lightning questions that we love to ask all of our podcast guests because this this is this I love because then they can start kind of doing a little bit of that or getting inspired by your answers. So first question, what book has greatly influenced you? So I I wanted to show this book. It's called A Stream Ownership by ah. uh, Joko Willick and Leif Babin. It's I an, love it. And yes, I, look it, at that. How Navy SEALs lead and win. And you even have a dog-eared. I see tags in there. You have notes in there. Yeah. So a very senior um, executive in the bank suggested that book a couple of years ago. And it's about ownership, right? Mm. Uh, as leaders, right? Taking ownership in every element, in every aspect. But not just as leaders, but also as as individuals in your yeah. family, right? Have become accountable. Yeah, ownership and accountability to drive change. What can you do as an individual to drive change? So mm. that's a very, very good book. Uh, very effective, by the way, because it gives you very tactical uh, examples of of the marine that can be transferable to corporate America and also to day to day living. So I loved it. I very love that book. All right. What is your favorite inspiring quote or saying? I have a lot of those, but <laughs> I think um, I recently I recently heard and they thought they could bury, uh, bury us, you know, from Angela. Yeah. But then I rise. Um, but then I rise. Um, and then I rise, that poem. It's so beautiful mm-hmm. and so powerful. And recently... I was in a gala mm-hmm. um, for COP, um, mm-hmm. and uh, there was a lady. Uh, I can't remember her name, which is a top executive in the NFL, and the and I think in the NFL. But she was talking experience, and then she said, "In your darkest hours, in your darkest hours, when you're about to give up, just remember, it's not about me." Others, mm. you know, it's not about me. So yes. when it gets tough, when it gets hard, just remember, as a person of color, as a woman of color, it's not just about me. Mm, I love that. It's so <laughs> powerful. Just gives me chills. <clears throat> yes. <laughs> and I will rise. So I, yes. when things get tough and I feel defeated, I will rise. Yes. So, I love yeah. that. <laughs> So maybe this will this will lead to you in the next question. What is one word or moniker you would use to describe yourself? Grit. 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 I believe that 100%. <laughs> and I see, you know, I hear the stories of your mother and I see your mother in you. It's grit, full of grit. I love it. <laughs> what is you. one change, habit, a behavior, action that you implemented that changed your life for the better? Meditation. Mm. Meditation. So people kept telling me about meditation for years. And by the way, that's an area person of my personal life I need to improve, which is <laughs> get habits to improve my health. Um, but let me tell you, I never can stay still. My, uh-huh. my, I'm always <laughs> thinking, I go to sleep and I'm thinking about my long list I have to do next day. Uh-huh. So recently I was doing all these tests, right? The certifications and my husband uh, is like, you should do meditation because I was getting a little bit too anxious about those tests. Mm-hmm. And I have to tell you, I love it. It's like you put the music on, uh-huh. stay still. And it's only like 10, 15 minutes, but I walk away every single time. Like if I went to a two hour massage. Yes. <laughs> so it, it's so powerful uh, to stay still, not of anything doing those breathing exercises so i need to do more i'm going to get into it really like i just discover it through i mean i knew yeah. about it everybody told me i should do it but i never listened to people yeah <laughs> now that i needed something uh mm-hmm. through this very stressful weeks of taking this very hard test i i mm-hmm. took it i started practicing it 
and it's the best thing I, I could do. And I'm going to continue hopefully developing it because it's a journey, right? You start yeah. like very basic mm-hmm. and then you go like yoga, right? Yeah. Uh, you go little by little, you progress. So meditation, yeah. I will encourage everybody, especially in today's age. I love that. Yes. It's like a reset. I love yes, it. Yes. A reset. And then the final question, which is one of my favorite. So here's Patricia about to walk out on stage, a thousand people in the audience. What is that power song that's going to be playing when you walk out on stage? This girl is on fire. <laughs> I love it. I see it right now. That's right. The, that yeah, Latina fire. Yes, Alicia Keys. From I love that song. You know, it's a beautiful song. One of my so. favorite too. All yeah. right. Well, <laughs> Patricia, thank you so much for your time. Your story has been phenomenal, and I can't wait for our audience to uh, hear your story. And one of the things we get all the time is people will reach out and say, "Love Patricia's story." You know, how can I follow her? Learn more about her. Learn more about her career. How would someone get in touch with you? LinkedIn, LinkedIn. social media, what? Yes. So I'm very active in LinkedIn, uh, mm-hmm. patricia.pacheco.vice. Uh-huh. Um, so you can definitely find me there. Um, I'm always in social, especially LinkedIn. So I always respond messages. So if you feel free to reach out and I try my best, that's one of the things I'm very proud of to get coffees and, mm-hmm. and make time, even if we don't have time, make time to mentor and support others. Um, so if anything I can do to help anyone, please feel free to reach out. Awesome. Well, thank you, Patricia. It has been an honor. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Beyond Barriers podcast. There are thousands of podcasts out there, and we are so grateful that you've chosen to listen to ours. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating and tell a friend about it and subscribe to get new episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Visit IamBeyondBarriers.com where you'll find show notes, links, and the best way to connect with our guests. See you next episode.